A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What is up, podcast fam? Today, my guest is Ryan Blum. Ryan and I went to Syracuse together, met in my junior year when he first started building his business, Study Abroad Apartments. He started this business in college. I remember watching him grind, work tirelessly on this business from the entrepreneurship room in uh, the business school. He led this business to a successful acquisition in 2018. Since he's also started another business called Brew Floors, and now is the VP at Aya, another business doing things in the co-living space. This episode is awesome if you are a student, college student, high school student, looking to start a business, have a business, want some inspiration. This guy, Ryan Blum, took an idea, started in college, and raised money, went to an awesome accelerator, took it through a successful acquisition. In this episode, we dive into building businesses, student entrepreneurship, starting a business while in college. And um, really building a life that Ryan is loving. So with that, enjoy this episode. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man, for coming on the show. Pumped to have you on. Excited for this one. It's going to be a little bit different than the other ones that we had so far. This one's going to focus a little bit more around entrepreneurship, building a life you love, and just pumped to have you on. Thanks. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. So I guess for the beginning, take me back to where your entrepreneurial journey began and what that looked like for you. Yeah. So the entrepreneurial journey began when I was 17. Yeah. 17 or 18, actually in high school. So I have two brothers and, you know, in high school during the summer, there wasn't much going on. So at the time I was playing sports and, you know, I wanted to try and make some money on the side. So our father was, is in the floor coding business and he was building his company and we were watching him do that. And he would come home with these new flooring products and we would see that, well, you know, we can actually go and try and do this on our own. So he was basically selling these specialized flooring, floor coatings, specific type of paint called epoxy. It's basically the closest thing to cement that isn't cement. So imagine like the hardest paint on this planet. It's called epoxy. It's what, you're, what you'll find in parking garages sporting stadiums, even, you know, bathrooms, etc. So the first really business I started was in high school. And we, me and my brothers, we pretty much bought a bunch of equipment. And we would start to, we went around the tri-state area. I'm originally from New Jersey. And we would go and install people's garages. So we brought, we bought a trailer, we bought all the equipment along with it. And we'd hire our friends, we'd pay them on an hourly wage couple of the guys from the football team, which was always uh, interesting because <laughs> they weren't exactly uh, qualified for the job. And we'd show up to these people's houses, a couple businesses that we did. And that was really my first time you know, running legitimate business from the back end to the front end in terms of operation, 
sales, you know, you're managing uh, customers, managing people as well. So really from that experience, I realized that I always wanted to kind of follow the path of entrepreneurship. And uh, when I was looking at schools, I, I knew for a fact that I wanted to, you know, follow the path of being my own boss. So I applied early decision to Syracuse University, which we both attended. And yeah. uh, <laughs> and I applied for the, specifically for the entrepreneurship program, which at the time was one of the top ranked programs in the country. So I was an entrepreneurship and emerging enterprises major. And what made you want to go there to Syracuse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like I said, I'm originally from New Jersey, and I wanted to be close enough where I could drive to school. I wanted to go to a good business school, and I also wanted. I wanted to get that full college experience. So, you know, Syracuse was known for having one or two good sports teams, which I thought was uh, important to kind of, you know, get that out of the college experience as well. But the main thing was the business school, which, you know, I, I fell in love with after visiting. And I knew a couple older guys that went, that were at Syracuse University. So I was able to visit them, stay with them. And yeah, fell in love with it. Did you know anyone that was in the entrepreneurship program? No. So I have a crazy Syracuse story. I don't think I ever told you this. So I transferred to Syracuse my junior year. And I guess my senior year of high school, I want to say I visited a friend who was in ZBT. And I was like, oh, I'm going to Syracuse. I'm applying early decision. I fell in love with Syracuse. And I had, it was like, this is where I'm going to go. I also visited the entrepreneurship program and I had a business in high school. And I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to go 100%. And I'm blanking on the guy's name, but some professor I met, he introduced me to some student who like, it wasn't even a real business, but he was telling me all about how like he was building, he had this cool idea for a pizza restaurant and how he got money doing it through Syracuse and he was pursuing an entrepreneurship program. I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to go for entrepreneurship. It makes complete sense. I visited Bentley, which is a small school out of Boston, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes outside of Boston. And I went to a really small high school growing up. So the guidance counselor there was very pushy about like keeping kids at smaller schools. And I think my graduating class for high school was like 30 something kids, like super small. It might've been bigger. At this point, the only one I keep in touch with from high school is my fiance. (laughs) So I went to Bentley, I visited and I turned to my mom and dad and I'm like, there's no shot I'm going here. I'm out. So we left within like the first 10 minutes, went to Syracuse, visited, stayed over. I'm like, this is where I'm going to go. Fast forward, go back to Bentley, the guidance counselor. I was like visiting a friend in Boston and she's like, you should give Bentley one more shot. So I went there and some student basically told me like, if I go to Bentley, I'll be rich. And I applied early decision to Bentley and never looked back. And then like the first 10 days of going to Bentley, I called my parents and I was like, I need to get out of here. I made a huge mistake. What was it? You just didn't, uh, you didn't like the campus or the people there? Oh my God, there was so much. I still have two of my closest friends are still from that school. So there, it wasn't like only like, oh shit, I'm stuck here. I definitely like, I had a good network that I created there. I have two great friends that I still have. First of all, the school's so small. The school's only 4,000 kids and the school's focus is, is accounting and finance. And I'm terrible at accounting. And I mean, only this year am I starting to like really gain a deeper understanding of, I guess, like finance is obviously important for business, but I really started to take it a lot more seriously in the last few years. But like, when I got there, I'm like, why am I here? 
I don't care about accounting. And a lot of people that work there, they go work at big accounting firms. And I'm like, right. when I was building my business in high school, my mom, she was very good with like numbers and math. And she would help me build. She would help me go through on like a quarterly basis, the accounting for my business. And it would always end in like tears. And I'd be like, I fucking hate accounting. Like, I just want to go sell the product. And obviously it's not, it's not really the right way to run a business. And accounting is important for any business. But yeah, so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I tried... And like, I'm, I'm pretty bad at math. So I was like struggling from the, from the moment I got there, I was like unhappy. So socially, it was like very, no comparison to Syracuse. And I was like, what the yeah, hell am I doing right. here? And I started to struggle in the classes. I called like my guidance counselor from high school. And I was like, I need to get out of here. This was a huge mistake. And she's like, well, you should get your grades up first. And I was like, no, screw that. I'm, I need to get out. So I applied to Syracuse and I got rejected and then I got stuck at Bentley for two years. Wow. Yeah. So then I got my grades up and then. And then they let you in. And then I got in. And then I guess that's when we met. Was, yeah. So that's was when we met. Junior year. Junior year. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, ended up at Syracuse and what I saw at the time was that technology was definitely going to be important. And it, I mean, at that time it was important. Now I think it's even more important than it was before. So I, I wanted to get, get a little more education around technology. So I was in the business school and also the information technology school. So I studied both, but my main focus was entrepreneurship. And at Syracuse, what was really funny about it was I joined a fraternity and a lot of the guys in my fraternity were saying, hey, why the hell would you ever get an entrepreneurship degree? You're not going to get a job after college. It's not a good idea. And it was tough at the time because you know you obviously look up to these guys and you want to listen to their opinions and you value their opinions. But at the same time, I'm like, what the hell do these guys know? What they're, they don't even know what they're talking about. They're only like a couple <laughs> years older than me. So I stuck with the path and I was the only person at that time that I knew who was in the entrepreneurship program. Of course, being in it, I met a bunch of other amazing people. And I, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go with it, but I knew that entrepreneurship, I knew I was capable of running multiple projects, managing people, managing teams and operations. I was always in leadership positions. So I knew it's what I wanted to do. So kind of fast tracking junior year, I went to study abroad. So at that time in the business school, they were only allowing you to study abroad in certain cities. And for me, I really was set on going to Barcelona, Spain. I spoke to a friend a year older than me, and he had amazing things to say about it. So I was like, I got to find a way to get there. At the time, Syracuse Business School didn't allow students to go to Barcelona, Spain. So this was kind of my ingenuity at the time. I had to bring my case to the head of the entrepreneurship program. And I had to basically do a presentation on why I, I should go to Barcelona and the classes I was going to take there and why they qualify for E credit. And I got approved. <laughs> I think I was the only person in Syracuse uh, history at that time to you know, pull that off. And for me, it was important to not go abroad with you know, a, a whole group of friends. So it was just me and, and two, other, two other buddies from the same fraternity. And my whole thing was I wanted to live with other roommates. I always heard that if you were going to you know, kind of expand your horizon, the best way to meet people is either to be alone or to, you know, expose yourself to people from, you know, other colleges and universities that you're not friends with. So for me, it was definitely important. So it was me and my two friends, and we ended up 
posting on a, a Facebook group, trying to find a couple more guys to get an apartment in Barcelona. And I was, you know, the guy in the Facebook group posting, hey, looking for a couple more uh, guys to room with me and two of my friends. Normally, you only see, uh, you don't see too many guys doing that. So what was surprising was I had about 40 to 50 guys <laughs> inboxing me asking, hey, can I be in your apartment? So I went through the process of like kind of screening them and vetting them, you know, looking into their Facebook profiles, seeing if we had any mutual friends, seeing, you know, what their deal was. Yeah, the mutual friends is nice. That's a nice touch. Yeah, it was a nice <laughs> touch. <laughs> and um, there was one, one guy, uh, his name is Brett from Chicago. He went to Ohio State. We had one mutual friend at the time. I think it was um, someone from a town next to me in New Jersey. So we, we had one thing in common. That was it. <laughs> and uh, we hopped on the phone and he sounded pretty normal. He said he was going to be going abroad with one other friend. So they joined our, our group. And then we got one other guy from yeah, it was University of, of Miami. So for us, we had a fairly diverse group. I mean, not that diverse, but we had people from other colleges and which was nice. So I, of course, took the role of trying to find us an apartment. And at the time, this was in 2013. So just keep in mind that obviously things are a little bit different now. But at that time, you know, the market standard was, well, if you went abroad, a couple programs provided housing. But the issue with program housing is they don't really guarantee anything. So you can request you want to live in a specific neighborhood, you can request you want to live with specific roommates, but they don't guarantee anything. So you can end up in the other side of the city, you can end up not living with the people you want to be living with. And uh, for me, I wanted to control my own destiny. It kind of goes back to the theme of like, you know, being in charge of the outcome, right? Yeah. So yeah, we, I ended up talking to a friend that went the year before. He said, hey, you got to go through this agency. So we were supposed to get this, you know, a nice apartment in the center of Barcelona in Exemple. Supposed to be a nice neighborhood. And I collected money from all of our roommates. Like, hey guys, I got it. It's going to be cool. Don't worry about it. And they all sent me money. And basically at the time, I, you know, I had to pay for most of the apartment before we went. So we ended up sending this like agency a bunch of money. And I think one to two days before we ended up getting a message saying, hey, that apartment you booked is no longer available. We're going to have to place you in a different apartment. So I'm thinking, well, to myself, shit, this isn't good. But I'm trying to play it cool with the rest of the roommates. Hey, guys, it's going to be okay. Let's just get there. Let's just get there and we'll sort it out when we get there. Because there wasn't any purpose to try and fight this thing. We were all leaving within the 24 to 48 hours. So, <laughs> Brad and the other, uh, the other guy from Miami were probably like, who the fuck is this guy who I sent money to? They were just like, oh my God, this is the worst idea of our life. <laughs> so we get, we get to Barcelona and this company, they put us in the most ghetto neighborhood in the city. You know, it was not a good neighborhood to be living in as an abroad student. And the apartment for six American guys was maybe made for three. So there were beds in the closets. There was no room for anything. You know, you had six guys in this tiny, tiny, tiny apartment in Barcelona with barely any cell service. None of us really spoke Spanish, you know. So we were kind of screwed at the time. Uh, one of my roommates got jumped right outside our apartment the first night we were there. He came back. His entire face was bleeding. Oh, man. I'm like, all right, this has gone from bad to worse. Was it better than your frat house? 
I think anything is better <laughs> than a fraternity <laughs> house. All right, fair enough. Yeah, so I went into kind of like fighter mode and, and wanted to get us out of the situation. So I started contacting other people that I knew that were there and trying to get other contacts on the ground to see how we can get out of the situation. And I ended up meeting a second company who got us a different apartment in a, a much better neighborhood. It wasn't the original apartment we booked. It was not as great, but at least we got ourselves out of that first apartment. We ended up losing a little bit of money. We recouped some of it. And then, you know, we ended up staying in, in this apartment. It was right across from Sagrada Familia, which is, you know, one of the most famous churches in Europe. So we were, we were in a cool neighborhood. It's definitely a little like touristy, but overall it was, it was fine. What's the reasoning? Like, why couldn't these companies, I guess, guarantee wherever they'd be placing you? Was there a reason or it's just... Who knows? Got it. You, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes with most companies. And, you know, most companies aren't as organized as they seem on the front end. So we don't know. And the, the second apartment we got, I became really friendly with the, the guy who helped us get the apartment. His name was Eduardo, like Eduardo from Facebook. And... Uh, <laughs> We became friendly and he was um, doing some student housing for American students at the time. And we kind of kept like this open dialogue while I was studying abroad. And of course, when you're abroad, you do a lot of traveling. So I'm taking classes, traveling either every weekend or every other weekend. And while I'm there, uh, while I'm in Europe, I'm, I'm asking other students, hey, do you like your housing? I'm going to visiting friends in other cities. How is your housing experience? I kind of became like fixated on this issue. And... At that time, when we were abroad, Brett, he was um, promoting. So he was, uh, he was doing like nightlife promotions at the time. So he was pretty connected in, in the market. And we realized that there was like a, a pretty big issue that we thought we could kind of jump in and, and help and, and cater. So we had this idea, but before we kind of brought it to fruition, the first thing that happened was before we left abroad, Eduardo, who owned like this real estate company who got us our second apartment, he said, Hey, look, he took me out to beers somewhere on the beach and you know, tried courting me and was like, Hey, look, I want you to help me get more business from the US. And at that time, I'm like, All right, all right, man, great idea. I'm like telling him, Hey, here are my ideas. You need to get all student buildings. If you can house students in, you know, the entire property, multiple units in the same property, that will sell really easily. We can hit the ground running with like a campus ambassador strategy. So he basically offered a couple buildings for me. This was while I was still abroad, a junior in college, to promote the second I got back. Did he own the buildings or? He was a property manager on the building. So he okay. had different arrangements with landlords at the time. So I'm like sitting, you know, drinking my beer thinking, all right, like good idea, but this could be much bigger than just like this one guy. So I came back that night and I went into Brett's room and I was like, hey, look, you know, here's the idea. We could potentially have a partner. And that night, we stayed up all night, I think, writing a four-page business plan, which I still have. And it's so bad looking back on it. <laughs> but we wrote a business plan and we went on godaddy.com or uh, uh, I forget which website it was. And we bought the domain name studyabroadapartments.com for like six euros. So that's actually how we, we got started was like right off that. We wrote the business plan. We went back out to dinner before we came back to the US with, it was me, Brett and Eduardo and we had an iPad and we basically had the business plan on the iPad and we had like 
studyabroadapartments.com at the top of the page in like bold and like big font. <laughs> and we put it down on the table. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, uh, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was the plan at the time for the business? The plan at the time was to partner up with companies like his and to promote their properties in exchange. It wouldn't cost them anything to, you know, promote with us only upon conversion. And the idea was to create some type of website slash hybrid service where we can answer a lot of the U.S. clientele at the time. They have a, questions that maybe some agencies and smaller landlords aren't equipped to deal with. Especially if you're an American, you would probably want to be talking to another American on the other side of the phone. So when you you know are talking to someone with a different accent, you nothing against foreign accents at all. But the barrier to trust, I think, goes down a little, especially yeah. when, you ha- when you're dealing with children as well. So you have parents that are trying to vet you know, companies and they want to be able to trust. So what we were really selling was trust, peace of mind, and um, good service, along with obviously you know, safe and reliable housing. There's a lot of value in all that. But were you able to offer, like it sounds like when, when you first went abroad, you sort of got screwed out of your apartment. So were you able to offer a better product or just like better apartments in general? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the big value add that that we had at the time was if you're a student, not, this doesn't go for all students, by the way, but there's definitely a lot of them, they want to live in buildings with other students. So for us, our whole concept was we were kind of like, not reinventing, but offering this new kind of housing product in the study abroad market at the time. So you would be able to live in a building with a bunch of other students, which was unprecedented. It didn't exist. Programs weren't able to guarantee this. Companies weren't able to really figure this out. How do we like manage big group reservations all coming in at the same time? Which apartments do we place them in? How do we deal with the payments and the parents and the roommate situation? So there was a, a lot of complexity behind the scenes. So yeah, that, that's how we got started. And I came back from abroad and that summer, we started really working on the business. We ended up outsourcing a website to India. And uh, at that time, we built an iframe around one property manager's website. Are you familiar with what an iframe is? Mm-mm. Okay. So it's basically like taking a website and plugging it into your website. So whatever partner that you're working with, you can plug all their data into your website and make it seem like it's your own. Okay. So we basically took their inventory and plugged it into our website, but we paid some development company in, in India like $600 and it came out absolutely awful. <laughs> but uh, like the language was broken and the, the currencies were all messed up and the photos didn't work. Nothing worked. Okay. Absolutely nothing. But it said studybroadapartments.com and it had our logo and it had some apartments on it. So like we were able to kind of say like, hey, look, we have apartments. How, you know, You can book them through us. And senior year, we we started marketing it. So our game plan was to work with students on the ground, on campuses, kind of the uh, campus ambassador affiliate strategy, where we would incentivize the ambassadors to promote us via Greek life and other social organizations, and we would compensate them on the back end, um, you know, pay them commission on the sale. And we're able to get this one guy, he went to Indiana, and he did a really good job. He was able to get a bunch of ambassadors to sign up for this, like, company at the time. <laughs> and uh, we ended up, we had three buildings and we ended up filling everything up from, I think, students from over like 30 different universities. And we were still in college. So I was, you know, taking classes. Brett was in, in college at Ohio State. We 
we were running the business to our cell phones. So we had students and parents as well, because they're the ones that were making the payments for most of the groups, not all of them, calling our cell phones like, who are you guys? Like, how old are you? Like, what is this company? Like, you know, we're giving them instructions on like how to wire, wire payments to like our landlord partners. Did you guys take the money into your business or went to the, the company? Year one, we didn't because we, we had no idea what we were doing. Got it. <laughs> but we charged like a service. No, we didn't even charge a service. For year one, we didn't charge anything. It was free to get in, in touch with us. You can ask us a million questions. We'd answer all of them. And we would make sure that you're booked with the apartment that you wanted with like that specific company. And we were basically the facilitator, yeah. kind of like the, the broker almost between the two parties. And we were just getting paid commission on the back end. And then what we realized was like, hey, one, we need to control the money. We need to control at least part of the transaction if we're going to like make this a business. Two, we need a new website. <laughs> <laughs> Three, we need more inventory. If you know your inventory is your liquidity. So that's really how we got started. And then senior year, we were kind of deciding, hey, do we you know pursue this full time? Or do we go and get jobs, right? That was like the million dollar question for us at the time. And we had a couple of uh, advisors and, you know, one, one really stuck with us. He basically said, hey, if you guys want to do this, you can. But if you're going to do it the right way, you need to be at the deep end of the pool. So if you're going to be doing it, you need to be all in. Or I don't think it's going to work. And look, maybe that does work for some people, kind of like the part time until it really picks up. But this was something, where you know, we were dealing with international business. Like it was very complicated to do just part-time. Was the advisor like a, a Syracuse teacher, professor or someone just in your no, network? It was actually a, a father of a student who ended up booking with us. Like a student's father. He was like a lawyer, real estate lawyer. Okay. So he had some experience in real estate. Yeah. Got it. That's pretty neat. Yeah. So towards the end of senior year, we decided, hey, we're going to do this full-time. So then the next step, how do we like grow the business? So Eduardo was kind of like our first point of contact and I got along well with him. So I said, well, we need to raise money. Like, how are we going to do this without raising capital? So you said you basically were free for the first year. Did you guys make any money in year one? Yeah, we did. We did. Not a lot. <laughs> you had like play money that, that you made from year one, but there, there wasn't enough money in the business or money coming in from the business where you're like, we could take salaries from that and live off this. Definitely not at the time. Got we it. were like, hey, we think this could be big. Let's like, you know, let's try and do this full time, but we need we need outside capital to try and make it happen. So I'm like twenty one. I'm like, how do how do you, you know, raise capital? So yeah, we basically created a pitch deck. This was towards the end of senior year. And I approached Eduardo. I'm like, hey, look, I think you could be really valuable for us. So I'm thinking, how do we even get into these other cities? We're just talking Barcelona right now. How do you go into Italy? You know, how do you go into France? How do you go into London? I don't have the contacts, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking strategic partner, get some capital and let's get this thing off the ground. So after a couple of conversations, he agreed to invest, yeah, to invest $50,000 in the business. Oh, so he, he invested in the business. He invested in the business and took equity in the business and became like a proactive partner in the company. And yeah, the second we, we graduated, we... All me and Brett flew out to Europe and we spent about a month and a half to two months traveling all around Europe. It was me and Brett and Eduardo 
scheduling meetings in all these cities with property management companies, landlords, really anyone that we can gain knowledge from trying to understand like, where do we fit in the market? What are the pain points? How can we like make this work with, you know, uh, not just one type of supply, but you know, more than one. And yeah, it was like the three musketeers like traveling Europe. And well, how old was Eduardo? I think he was like 40 at the time. Okay. Or, so he was like double your age. Yeah, but he spoke seven languages. So for us, we're able to, you know, roll roll into France or Italy and he's able to speak Italian, which there's enormous value being able to do that versus just talking English. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, the way that Europeans do business. They are definitely different than Americans. It's built more on trust. Things take a little longer. They want to talk more before they make things happen. So that initial conversation in Italian or <laughs> <laughs> Spanish even, it was super important. So we spent yeah, that time traveling and we ended up signing a handful of contracts with new uh, landlord partners where we were able to open up Prague, for example. We had a handful of partners that we started working with there. And yeah, we took our initial profits from year one and reinvested into a new website. Got it. So you're obviously now pursuing it. Did you raise, you raised also additional money outside of the 50,000 from Eduardo? Yeah, we did. So we spent a year and a half running it just bootstrapped with like the 50K that we got. And we were like, all right, let's try it. We were on the second version of the website, which was still not great. It was built on WordPress, which is basically a glorified blog. <laughs> so imagine every blog that you read it, Shopify wasn't as big back then, but yeah, WordPress it was built on WordPress. So you can like see photos, you can see descriptions and it had like a contact form. And uh, that was it. All the backend transactions, money collecting, lease signing was done manually, which was a ton of work. So we had people sending us checks in the mail, wiring us money. And we basically hit a wall. We were very profitable that second year. And we had new partners. We were doing business in these other cities. I was living at home at the time, and Brett was living at home in Chicago, just like working from uh, working from my basement. I think Brett was working from his sister's bedroom. <laughs> and um, yeah, we we realized at a certain point we need to invest in software if we're going to take this thing to the next phase. So we hit pain points with just not being able to handle the payment inbound, not being able to handle the you know, the booking and availability information. So there was a lot of just manual work that we learned the hard way, as most, uh, I would say, founders do in, in the early stages. How do you guys make money as the business started to scale? We still had our commission structure with our landlord partners. And then we were charging a service fee per each student. Per month or? No, just a one-time fee. I think it was 199 at the time per each student. And we had, you know, a couple hundred students that were coming through us. So it was working well and it was just like a one-time transaction. Once you got through that initial reservation and they're booked, there's not much else that you need to do because the actual management of the unit falls on the property manager. So you're just like this booking service. So there's not, there's really no operation cost. There was no operation cost for us, which was amazing. Makes sense. So it's almost, it's somewhat similar to um, like Airbnb. Yeah, it was uh, similar and what was different though at that time was we were working with different supply segments so basically what you would find on airbnb was not these b2b like um we were only working b2b so basically we were only working with companies that we knew 
that had legit infrastructure on the ground versus Airbnb at the time, you know, they, you don't know who you're booking with. It could be yeah. an individual landlord. It might be a company. It's kind of hard to tell. They didn't have their premium host features at that time. There wasn't as much trust in the product at that time. So yeah, for us, especially like the US clientele, they want good service, right? We're used to good service here in America. And uh, we want to make sure, hey, look, if something goes wrong in the apartment, that there's going to be someone to take care of it within a reasonable amount of time. So that was a super important. Just hearing you speak about your business, I mean, it makes complete sense. I feel any parent that's sending their kid abroad would pay a significant premium to have more trust in the process, have more trust in where their kids are going, have someone that they can contact and not get someone who doesn't speak a lick of English on the other line. So business makes complete sense. So you're doing this after school. Sounds like year one and year two were going really well. Did you ever have any doubts or thoughts like, I I should have maybe gotten a job at this point or no? No, we were rocking and rolling. We were like, you know, we were, we were doing well. And I was happy with what we were doing. And I was at that time still traveling a good amount. So I do make frequent trips to Europe to meet with Eduardo and different landlord partners. So for me, I was like totally invested in it. You know, it was going well. I was my own boss. We were working hard, obviously long hours, doing everything from support to sales to managing the books, right? Was the company just you three? Yeah, at that time it was. Awesome. So you end up getting into Dream Adventures, the accelerator. What was that process like? Yeah. So after two years of running the business, we realized we needed to invest in software. So we started to search for outside capital. And we realized that like, hey, we're, we need developers to do this. But Brett and I, our expertise at that time weren't software and they mine still isn't. <laughs> uh, and Brett, he kind of, yeah, he became definitely amazing at learning the product and how to manage developers, but we weren't engineers at heart. So that was a huge, huge pain point for us. Like, how are we going to do this? So we were working out of a fast forward. We ended up moving to New York. I convinced Brett to move to New York and we started just networking as much as possible, trying to meet different uh, venture capital contacts for us, early stage seed investors. And we ended up meeting one investor who really believed in our vision and they had a different approach. So they, they invested in, in founders that didn't have technical expertise and they provided development resources and capital in exchange for equity. So for us, it was an amazing match because we needed both of those things at the time. More importantly, the development part of, of the platform. So we ended up building out a completely new marketplace website, which is, if you're familiar with marketplaces, are fairly complex, especially when you're dealing with international currencies and, and landlord policies and different types of inventory. So we ended up getting a deal with them. And then we met the guys at Dreamit during that process. And we applied. It was kind of a stretch. We applied for their um, EdTech Accelerator because we were not EdTech but we fell within education, kind of. And they ended up accepting us along with, I think, eight or nine other companies. And we're able to really test our thesis. But it was challenging because at that time, we were still building out the new website. Mm. So looking back, if we could have done it over, I would have joined Dreamit probably a year to year and a half from where we were when we originally joined them because we weren't ready to really start testing a lot of the things that they want us to do. So how to acquire new customers. What was like 
your daily like activity in the business or just like your daily life in the business change significantly or change to some degree when you were like participating in dream it under their guidance or was it still fairly much just like you were doing your thing and you had other people looking into your business yeah i think um maybe 20 to 25 percent of my time was taken from dream it they're coaching you so you have one-on-ones with advisors they're trying to help you build the foundations helping you with any type of legal legal stuff that that you need assistance with they're also helping you fundraise too so is it all like seasoned entrepreneurs who are helping you or sort of a mix yeah yeah so the people that they bring in are definitely like top notch so the people that we were working with kind of lived and breathed this entrepreneur like early stage company startup life so they were able to ask really good questions and kind of push us in certain directions that definitely helped us grow the business at the time and helped us avoid mistakes, I think, which is more important. You know, getting the guidance from them was super beneficial. Was there anyone you met who was there who you were just like, this person's incredible, who was like an advisor or a mentor in Dream It, where you're just like, whoa, that's a whole different level. They had a couple guys come like speak, which I found was like amazing. Like, guys that are hard to get in front of. I'm blanking on on what are their names right now, but we'll have we'll have to come back to it. Got it. So, I'm curious cuz you you had mentioned at the beginning that you chose to study entrepreneurship and a lot of people at the time were like like what are you doing studying entrepreneurship? So, in some ways dream it it sounds like it's sort of like back to school almost, obviously a little bit different than yeah. traditional school. How would you say like dream it was different than what you were studying in entrepreneurship at Syracuse? Teaching entrepreneurship is one thing, doing it is another. So, you know, you can do case studies on companies of all different sizes and, you know, learn about their culture and growth and how they manage certain situations. And But being in it is just a completely different world. So for me, it was like, all right, this is, it didn't feel like school at all. It felt like I was just running, you know, the business at the time with more help around me. Not to get on a whole tangent around like education, but do you think that like looking back and there's obviously other pros to college outside of just like studying, but looking back on your college experience, I was in the high school, so I didn't study. I studied information management and honestly, I use nothing that I got from school. Like there are people that I met, there are connections I made. There are some classes that definitely had like an impact, but not four years worth of classes. I, I didn't study entrepreneurship. I took a class. I don't know. Do you know John Liddy? No. So I took like a class with him in the tech garden, which for those listening is like one of the few entrepreneurship hubs at Syracuse, at least when we were there, it was like one-on-one there were, there were maybe two or three other students. And I took these like independent classes with John Liddy and he taught like the lean startup methodology and things like that. But I was never in a formal entrepreneurship class in any of my years in college. Yeah. I guess like one, I feel like studying entrepreneurship now is a little bit more mainstream Maybe there's more programs that exist today Definitely. than when we were in school. But I do sometimes think like, even now looking backwards, I'm like, wow, if I took the same amount of money I spent on, and I have great things, I really have great things to say about Syracuse. But if I took the same amount of money I, I spent on college and like found a mentor or a coach who was like an expert or a master in different fields in business, like I wonder if I'd be in a better position today Yeah, and would have spent less. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I don't think there's any like right or wrong answer to that. But for me, it was definitely useful to learn the fundamentals of it. Could they be taught on your own? 
yes, but there's a lot of value from being in a business school, whether it's like entrepreneurship or something else, because you're forced to work in these groups and to figure things out and to learn how to problem solve and who's going to do what and how to delegate and how to organize and how to kind of distribute work amongst team members. I think that was like the most valuable thing. And what is everyone's strengths? You know, who's better at Excel? Who's better at presentation and public speaking? So I think like that part of it can't really teach and you get some really good hands-on experience with that in college. So like management, managing people, as I'm sure you know, is a completely different game. Yeah. And I think, you know, college and entrepreneurship in particular, it does give you like a little bit of insight to what that's like. During your senior year, were you like, I have this awesome business. I'm not going to do this entrepreneurship project if it has nothing to do with my business. Yeah, I actually, I tried doing it the same, I like my business. And they were like, well, you, you can't do the, an idea that someone did the year before, like in the past. So they looked up in their system and they were like, yeah, someone had this idea a couple of years ago. I'm like, well, clearly they didn't start <laughs> it. <laughs> so I wasn't actually able to do like my business as my main business school project. But yeah, there was definitely a little bit of a disconnect from like me being more focused on like running the business to, you know, trying to attempt to create like a a kind of a fake company. Yeah. You know, we'll do another podcast another time around education and entrepreneurship. Yeah. I can can riff on that for some time. But um, yeah, yeah. because when I was in like same time, obviously, I wasn't an entrepreneurship program. I was in high school and my logic there you know, like, I guess you're more of like a sponge at that time. You just have less life experience. So people tell you things. You're just like, okay. Like someone was like, oh, you should go to the high school. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I applied for the high school and it seemed like they're like, you know, you'll have a good technical background, which will be better for your, for your future if you're already going to pursue entrepreneurship. And then I was like, ah, I guess that makes sense. That's good logic. I have not used one thing as it relates to like information management yeah. in my business ever. I love the program I was in, but like, I feel like the best things I got from college was figuring out how to how to sort of like get by while in college so I could run my business as opposed to uh, like really crushing it in the classes I was taking. Yeah, I hear you. Back to DreamIt. So after DreamIt. We're in DreamIt, building out the new website with this venture capital firm based here in New York. Once you build out the new site, you go out and raise more money, right? You have this new product. It can perform better. We already have some revenue to show. So that was the idea, and that's exactly what we did. We launched a new website, we raised some more seed funding, and we started scaling the business. So we started, we brought in some in-house engineers here in New York. We hired a team in Barcelona. So we opened up an office in in Barcelona, which is where Eduardo was based. So our team out in Barcelona was doing business development, account management for our landlord partners, and sales. So like reservations. And that, you know, we kind of have like these two offices, which... I learned a lot about managing remote teams. Of course, now during COVID, it's become like definitely more standardized. But yeah, managing remote teams, what are best practices for that? And yeah, we started scaling the business. And while we were scaling the company, which means we were opening new cities, we ended up opening 12 cities all across Europe and also here in the US, everywhere from Milan to Florence to Rome to Barcelona, Madrid, London, Prague. New York was a good one for us. And while we were, you know, building the company, gaining more brand reputation in the business, going to conferences, kind of hitting the pavement hard, we obviously connected with a lot of different companies, um, ranging from startups to legit property management businesses that were 
kind of interested in what we were doing on a bigger scale. So we ended up getting approached by a couple of different businesses about, hey, what does a bigger partnership look like? How could we maybe work together in the future? And we ended up getting a couple of offers on buying the business. Like, would you say being in DreamIt helped get there or you think you would have got there regardless if you were in DreamIt or not? It definitely helped. I think there's a, a big network from DreamIt. Like you talk about network. I mean, you're connected to hundreds of other founders and advisors just from being there for a couple of months that you wouldn't have that you can kind of tap into that network. So I think it was definitely huge for us and it added more credibility to what we were doing. It's kind of like you follow this certain path, not that that's necessarily the right path, but for us, since we were young and didn't have much of a track record, it definitely helped and it added more credibility to our names, to the business we were running. You ultimately led the company through acquisition. We did. What was that experience like for you? It was probably the the most challenging, complicated part of actually running the business was like getting it to the finish line. Because here you are, you're managing a lot of different variables, right? Maybe a lot, a lot of deals don't end up happening. So while you're in the middle of negotiating the kind of uh, purchase agreement, things could fall apart. So you're managing everyone's expectations. And my job as like the CEO was to manage, you know, our employees, like, how is that going to work? Are they going to come with us or not? You know, all of our advisors and whatnot, how is that going to work? So for me, it was a huge learning curve, you know, working with counsel on variety of new legal documents that I wasn't so familiar with. So there was a lot of learning for me along the way, you know, we had good support going through that process. And we were able to get out of it on the other side successfully. So I'm definitely glad that, you know, that has passed us. Yet for any other, you know, entrepreneur, first time entrepreneur that's, you know, going through that process, the only thing I can say is like, buckle up. It's, it's going to get bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> so today you're, you're, you're running a new business as like the VP in like flexible living. Is that, is that the business? So yeah, I'm, I'm staying in space right now and I'm working with a company. It's based here in New York. It's basically a co-living business. So what they do is, you know, there's this concept of co-living, co-working. What do these things mean? It's basically sharing an office or your like living arrangement with other people. So what we do as a company, it's called Aya. And I was basically consulting for this company for a couple of months before joining them in the business, I'm a huge believer in kind of this flexible housing model. And the unit economics make a lot of sense when the business is performing well. So yeah, we we do, I like to say it's student and young professional housing all across New York. So basically, you can rent a room that's fully furnished for a couple months to even a full year. So if you're an international intern coming here for like uh, just a semester at NYU, or Fordham or Pace, you know, finding an apartment is super challenging. Who do you trust? Same thing, right? There's that trust issue, that trust factor. But now, instead of being on the marketplace side, I'm actually on the operator side. So being the property management behind the units, kind of... So you guys own the the property? We have different arrangements with landlords on how we operate each property. Got it. Do you guys own any property? I can't really say. Okay, okay. (laughs) But yeah, we have different arrangements with landlords. It's and interesting you've stayed in that space. Where where do you see yourself in like 10 years? Running three to four companies. 
(laughs) (laughs) Still, do you think still in, still in like co-living space in some capacity or not, not so sure? I think we'll have to see. That's against um, the grain. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, and I get the pushback all the time as well, but a lot of people would say it's better to, you know, run, run one business. Why three or four? Yeah. So for me, I think when I'm talking about business, I think there's different types of businesses, right? You have big enterprise business and you have small business, which lifestyle business, right? So for me, what I'm more interested in is eventually having multiple lifestyle businesses that, you know, you can have an amazing team run, super profitable, that you can grow at your own pace. It's not as, you know, risky as raising venture capital. Do you think you want to go back that direction or no? You know, knowing what I know now, probably not. I think taking a, a loan, if you have a solid business plan, is probably, or and if you know exactly what you're doing, is probably the better option. But if you're going for the tech route, it is, I think, the right option. You know, you're getting uh, not free money, but you're getting money at equity, right? So for you, uh, and the company doesn't really cost you anything, and the risk is fairly low. Versus a loan, you have to back the loan with something. So at that time, it was the right decision. I definitely don't regret it. But looking in the future, I think you know different financing options. Getting creative with financing is something that I definitely want to continue. You know, learning more about. Awesome. I know also you you're the you're the CEO of Rooflors. So I think it's funny you started your your entrepreneurship journey, your entrepreneurial journey in uh the flooring business uh, with with your family. So I guess like just quickly, you can, maybe you could share a little bit about how you ended up owning brew floors. And I mean, I know the story a bit, but um, it's also (laughs) looking at your LinkedIn, it's like kind of random. It actually makes some sense because it sounds like you started in some capacity in in that industry uh, in high school, but I think it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while I was starting study abroad apartments in the early stages I realized like, hey, why put all my eggs in one basket? Maybe try and like do something else that doesn't take up too much time. So I came across an opportunity to basically buy this guy's business from him. And it was brewfloors.com. So like beer, brewfloors.com. And basically it was an e-commerce website to sell flooring products to breweries, microbreweries, home brewers all across the US. So he was this guy, he was in Tampa. He was just looking to really get rid of the company. And it had an amazing organic search on it. So that was kind of like my side project. And we, we rebuilt the website. I run it with uh, one of my brothers. We rebuilt the website, added some new products, and started investing a little bit more into SEO. And yeah, it's pretty much like the drop shipping model. I think you, know, you see all these uh, ads on Facebook and whatnot about like, how you can become a millionaire overnight. The notion of having low overhead and high margins and low marketing costs, I think is like the North star for most companies. And that's exactly what that business is. We don't, there's really no overhead. The margins are pretty good. And um, we don't really spend much in marketing. Most of our traffic comes organic. So yeah, we basically just sell flooring solutions directly online. Would you ever think of building that up further, like investing some money into marketing? Yeah, I mean, we've tested some small things, but for now we're kind of just like slowly reinvesting in the business and working on like a, another side project as well. So for us, you know, we're slowly taking it step by step. It's kind of more just a lifestyle business right now. It's not full-time by any means. 
And yeah, we'll see where it goes. For now, it's kind of just like a fun thing to to run on the side. It doesn't take up too much time. Yeah, I know the micro brewery scene has like really exploded. Craft beer is huge. Yeah, so I I guess maybe you you bought the business at a at a good time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's been cool to see different types of breweries pop up and, you know, the different approaches that they're taking to like creating their type of brewery that they want. It's typically a, a group of guys and girls and some of them have different visions. Like some of some of the people want to create a space where you can have birthday parties and events and some of the other people are just like hardcore brewers so you kind of have like these different areas of the brewing market that i'm slowly you know seeing more of and it's cool i i don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon people are always gonna continue to drink beer so well hopefully yeah (laughs) i know i am (laughs) so i'll be a loyal customer for life There's actually a a brewery that just opened. It, it opened like a year ago, I guess, in my hometown. It's like the space they got is it's huge. They invested, I think, nearly or slightly over a million dollars into the property and um, into like the development, into the beer. And they missed opening. And I I live in a big beach town. They missed opening yeah. last summer, so they opened like at a really bizarre time. And like they literally just opened, and then Corona hit, so they closed. So it's like crazy. I mean, they're still in business, but really bad it's timing it's tough um yeah. but maybe you could sell them some floors i you know that's <laughs> the first thing that, that they need to do is coat their floors before before they <laughs> do anything else so just uh we'll, we'll wrap this up now but i usually like to ask a few rapid fire questions at the end so for anyone that's in high school or college that's exploring entrepreneurship what would be your your advice to them talk to as many people as you can absorb as much information as you can. There's amazing content out there via LinkedIn and YouTube. Consume as much as possible and try and see what really interests you the most about it. Awesome. And this is a new one that I'm adding to the mix, but if you could fast forward, we're obviously still really in our prime, very young, but if you could fast forward to your deathbed and you were going to impart some wisdom onto the younger generation, maybe your kids, even grandkids, what would be the advice that you would give them? Doesn't need to be around business. Doesn't need to be around business. No. Never say no to a conversation. You never know where it's going to lead up to. I find that keeping like an open mind has been super uh, beneficial for me. And I'm still young. I mean, so if I am looking, you know, very far from now and talking to someone much younger than me, Think just being as open as you possibly can. You never know who you're talking to. You never know who's around the corner. You you know you never know who's one phone call away from something interesting that could maybe change your life. So my thing is being as open as possible and keeping an open mindset about you know the world. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for the time. Amazing story. It's awesome to see what you took from college, took it to an acquisition. Um, and you know how you continue to grow several businesses. I'm sure I've no doubt you'll probably own three, four, five, six, maybe seven, eight or nine businesses in, in 10 years from now. So yeah. thanks, thanks for uh, coming on the show. We'll say, yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Bits of Gold. I love this episode so much with Ryan. Ryan and I both started businesses young. And it's always awesome to see anyone who started something, whether that be in high school, college, right after school, 
And it's awesome to see where they take that business. And in Ryan's case, awesome to see him taking that business from idea to startup through successful acquisition. So think for anyone starting a business, young or old, this episode really shows that it's possible. Yes, you too can be your own boss, can build your own business, and can pursue your own dreams. If you like this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, more to come. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and see you soon. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.